welcome to Anxiety and the Artist, the podcast that explores artist's relationship with anxiety, offering insight and inspiration. I'm your host, Allison Sheff. My guest today is Bobby Staggert. Bobby is an actor who spent 20 years working on and off Broadway. Notable performances include Mothers and Sons, in which he played opposite Tyne Daly, and the revival of Ragtime, for which he earned a Tony nomination. He received an additional four Drama Desk nominations and can be heard on several original cast albums. After receiving a master's degree in social work from Columbia University, he has now begun a second career as a psychotherapist, where he specializes in the treatment of LGBTQ young adults and artists of all ages and modalities. His daily work is to help clients find balance and purpose in the often uncertain and unpredictable life of an artist. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. So tell us a little bit about your background as a performer and your relationship with anxiety. <laughs> when, when you told me you might ask me a question about my own anxiety as an artist um, and in preparation uh-huh. for talking to you, I, I made a list of all the things I remember <laughs> making me nervous about being an actor. And it's, it's a really comprehensive list. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much anxiety actors have to deal with. Yes, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Would you like to share some of those those bullet points from your list? <laughs> it's a really long list, but you know, for me, there there were a few that really stuck out and that still sort of give me agita when I think about it. And I think most people will agree. Um, you know, the first is the financial um, instability, if you will. I mean, you can make mm-hmm. good money, no money, and everything in between. Um, and I found it really scary to not be able to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, not only for the practicals of my life, but when I'd want to go to see, you know, a, a family member get married or um, when I'd want to plan, you know, big life events that I kind of had to work around because of the constantly shifting schedule of an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the bigger stuff for me was more of the existential anxiety about who am I, you know, what am I contributing and what is my larger purpose, especially when I'm not working. And, you know, the the sad truth, if you are, an interpretive artist is that you have to wait for someone to invite you to do your work. And that can create a great deal of anxiety. Indeed. Indeed. So how did that, can you talk, tell us a little bit about the transition from going from actor to therapist? Yeah, it was, um, it was one in which there was definitely a mourning process because I, I, there are so many things about being an artist that I just so deeply love. Um, getting to explore the full range of human emotion and to share that with people, getting to be part of a company and a team and building a story together. I think that's um, an experience that, that is so invaluable. Um, But on top of mourning it, I I reached for something that I thought could be of use that could be really um, um, a a contribution to people's well-being, And I think that has provided me with a great deal of um, happiness and, and contentedness and I'm finding that I use a lot of the same skills. I mean, you know, being in in therapy with clients is very much like being in a scene in the sense that you have to be completely present. You mm-hmm. have to be spontaneous. You have to be emotionally available. And you have to ask the big questions of life, which is exactly what artists do. Indeed, indeed. So very basic therapist question for you. What sure. is anxiety? Hmm. I mean, from a purely scientific point of view, um, you know, it's an evolutionary adap- an evolutionary adaptation um, that historically alerted us to different kinds of danger and, and kept us alive. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, 
it was really important, you know, in our hunter-gatherer days, for example, to anticipate possible dangers that really were life or death, and then to heed that anxiety in order to protect yourself. Um, and, you know, the people who heeded those anxieties more effectively are the ones who pass their genes on to us. And, and so um, anxiety lives differently in the modern world because we are less in danger in our day-to-day lives. Um, but uh, it serves the same purpose. It, um, it, it keeps us asking the what ifs as opposed to the what is, and mm-hmm. it keeps us um, future-minded in order to um, protect ourselves in different ways. So how does anxiety specifically affect artists? Well, there's that list I'm talk- I was talking about earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, how does it affect artists? I mean, this is my observation through working with artists and my own experience. Um, like I mentioned, there's a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm. um, in every aspect of life. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's just... On top of that, the really um, high stress and sometimes really unnatural positions that actors are put into. I mean, there are too few jobs and too many actors. And so mm-hmm. there's this sort of big picture, um, you know, uh, conflict when it comes to the number of actors looking for the, the number of jobs that exist. And then there's the cruelty and sort of unnaturalness of auditions. I mean, it's a it's a crazy thing to get a call at 7 p.m. saying be somewhere tomorrow at 10 and have all this material memorized and polished up and, you know, show the best part of yourself and sit in a room with 15 other people who are watching the same exact opportunity. I mean, it's it can create all kinds of, you know, crazy um, opportunities for doubt and um, mm-hmm. and panic, if you will. Beyond that to just a general lack of control. Um, Mm -hmm. and on top of that, um, you know, if you're an artist, you are putting yourself out there publicly. And so there's the anxiety about, um, how people will respond to the very personal things you put out into the world. Um, and it's, it's part and parcel of what it is to share in the world, but it also, I think, brings up a lot of anxiety as to the possible criticism of that work. What are some unhealthy coping mechanisms that artists utilize <laughs> to to deal with these anxieties? And I'm thinking along the lines of like avoidance, that sort of thing. Sure. Um, well, there's substance use, which is a common way to deal with anxiety, um, an understandable one because it can very quickly um, mitigate anxiety, but it's not a long-term solution that I think works out very well for people. Right. <laughs> um I think a really unhealthy coping mechanism is comparison. Um, Mm. You know, I I think we are especially are so attached to social media as it's become a tool that some argue is even necessary to have a career. Um, And that can lead people down pathways of um, comparing everything about them to, um, to other people. And, uh, you know, some might find it motivating. Some might, might find it, um, um, Energizing, but I think ultimately what it does is is it takes you out of your center and puts you in a place where you are um, judging yourself, um, you know, from the perception of others. And I just don't think that's ever a, a, a way that that can lead you towards a healthier self um, self image or self experience. Mm-hmm. So. 
With COVID, I'm finding that a lot of artists are struggling with their identity. Can you share your thoughts on artist identity and in like in general, and then more specifically how COVID has affected that? Yeah, it's really intense. I mean, one of the beautiful thing about artists is that, um, you know, they identify their professional contribution as of them, um, as an expression of their most truest selves. Um, and uh, artists um, identify through their job more than I would say most people identify through their job. Not all, of course. Um, and so when that primary central identity is ripped away from you by having any um, job prospects um, on the horizon also ripped away from you, it can often lead to this understandable feeling of, of emptiness. You know, who am I? Mm-hmm. What am I here to do? What is my contribution, especially in a time when people are suffering and um, we're asking much bigger questions about who we are as a, as a culture? Um, and so it can be devastating to have that identity really threatened. Um, so I, I guess what I've noticed in the last year is that um, it's been deeply confronting to artists, but it's also been a, an opportunity in disguise. Um, it's been an opportunity to just slow down, you know, to breathe, um, to tend more to the immediate needs of the day and to, you know, the relationships that are directly in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been, in my eyes, um, a strength and focus on family and friends. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, and it's right. an opportunity for artists to reinvest in other identities and um, identi- identities um that can help them think about how they contribute on a day-to-day level and not just through their work. Hmm. Okay. Any examples of that? Well, um, I mean, you're an example of that. I mean, <laughs> look at what you've true. done. Very true. <laughs> I mean, you found a way to, to use what I'm imagining was a great deal of anxiety and, and, and contribute to your community and to helping people get through this a little bit more in one piece. Um, I mean, do you feel that way? Absolutely. Yeah. And and this was a project that was sort of on the back burner that I had always wanted to work on, but just never had the time. And, and yeah, and asking questions of like, well, what is this, what am I contributing (laughs) to the world and to, to, you know, the art form, et cetera. Um, Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, you know, with family, you know, I, I have spent, a total of, I would say, three or four months collectively with with my my family this year. Um, and when does someone in the middle age ever get to do that? And so right. you know, I feel more of a purpose as a son and as a brother than than I have since I was a child. And I think that's a really wow. beautiful opportunity. Absolutely. Coming up, social anxiety and the rehearsal room. So I'm interested in this idea of exploring group dynamics as they relate to artists. Um, So we find ourselves in these situations where we have to skip the normal steps of bonding and go straight to being a family. Hmm. And while that family dynamic can be one of the things that really attracts people to the theater and to this business, it can also be very isolating and anxiety inducing, especially when you don't necessarily maybe have, you know, a lot in common with the people that you're suddenly a family with. (laughs) Um, Can you talk a little bit about group dynamics and social anxiety as it relates to our business? 
Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, like I said, one of my favorite things about the business is the group dynamic, but that that doesn't um, necessarily mean that it can't be really difficult and disorienting and often anxiety producing, as, as you say. Um, and, you know, wh- when I think about group dynamics in past um, companies that I was a part of, what I think about actually are the old timers, the, the, the acting veterans. And my memory of a lot of them is that they kind of sat back. Um, hmm. They took their time to figure out what the dynamic was and to, um, to contribute authentically and in, and in their own time and at their own pace. And I think that's because they'd figured something out about the group dynamic that can often feel pressed upon you in an artistic environment. And it's that this family energy does not mean legitimate intimacy. They're, they're two different things. And mm-hmm. um, when it comes to actual intimacy, it has to be earned with, with time and experience together. And so only those ingredients can lead to, to legitimate trust between people. And so I think it's okay to make that distinction. Um, the other thing I think about is um, the fact that we often believe our anxiety is unique we think that we alone, isolated in the experience of anxiety, are um, are having trouble. And we might see other people who seem to be kind of sailing through the experience a little bit more um, lightly, and we can assume that they don't experience any anxiety. There's actually um, a very clinical phrase for this, and it's called pluralistic ignorance. Huh. Um, it's not a very warm phrase, but what it really means <laughs> is that is that we often fail to see in others what feels like a totally unique experience. Um, Social anxiety is a major one. So is the idea of um, imposter syndrome. You know, we show up and we think, oh God, I don't belong here. I don't fit in. And we fail to to see the pluralistic experience of that in other people. Um, And that's also because I think um, some people deal with their anxiety by externalizing it. Instead of becoming a wallflower, they might use their need to be accepted and um, to bring people together um, as a way to put themselves out there more loudly or more aggressively. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it, it doesn't necessarily mean they're not um, worrying about the same things that you worry about. Interesting. Talk to me more about um, the whole imposter syndrome thing. I think that's something a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. I mean, you know, really, really frankly and simply, um, we privately have to contend with all the voices in our heads. Um, and it's often a, a complex conversation between parts of ourselves that doubt and hope and fear, um, and it can get loud. And so through that internal conversation, we can, imagine as we compare ourselves to only the externals of other people's behavior that we're in a lot more trouble or that we know a lot less about how to go about things than they do. Um, You know, it's part and parcel with this idea of pluralistic ignorance. And um, the truth is, if people were really to be brave and to talk about their inner experiences, that we have a lot more in common than we'd ever imagined. Um, You know, the truth is also that most people are making things up as they go. Um, you know, I have a degree in um, social work. I'm here talking to you. And even I'm a little bit nervous talking about these things that I, I think about all the time. And that's right. okay. It's perfectly okay that I'm nervous talking about this. <laughs> 
So, so as a director, um, I look at a, like a group dynamic and I mean, solutions, like what are, what are some ways to foster a more comfortable environment? Um, and to maybe, I don't want to say cater because that's not definitely not the right word, but <laughs> what's a way to, to sort of be, create the most supportive environment that, that fosters creativity, but also takes into account all of these things that everybody is feeling. Well, the arts are a very expressive, um, the arts foster very expressive environments. Um, and that's a good thing, but I do think that even in arts environments, um, the virtues of refraining and of listening can often be undervalued. Um, and I think those virtues are actually really necessary group contributions. So I think it's mm-hmm. about um, fostering um, an environment where those virtues are reinforced and um, where those virtues are encouraged in people so that the space becomes not just about expression and sharing, but about making space, about listening, about um, thinking before one speaks and creating um, a balance between both the sharing and the taking in. Fantastic. Um, So let's talk healthy coping mechanisms. If there's an artist out there experiencing anxiety in all of the various ways that you previously mentioned, what are some healthy things and some healthy approaches to their anxiety that they can do? Um, Well, first, as I've already sort of alluded, I think it's about normalizing it. Um, You know, there's that old adage, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that being brave enough to talk about the struggle is more than half the battle because what it does is it invites other people who might be scared to um, expose their struggle to do the same. And then you have a lot more in common, uh, a lot more to share. And then you feel freed up to be more authentically who you are and to share more authentically what you're really experiencing. Um, Sometimes I think about anxiety in terms of a feeling of being stuck um, and um, of being really less likely or less able to act. And so oftentimes it's really about overriding that feeling and acting before thinking. Hmm. Um, you know, it's about jumping into the deep end head first and then figuring out how you feel about it later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which could also be anxiety inducing. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's about, it's about dealing with the initial discomfort of that jump into the deep end and mm-hmm perhaps experiencing a little bit of relief afterwards because you had that bravery to take the, to take the leap. Um, so is there, can you give us a practical example of, of that? You know, I was talking to a client um, the other day who was uh, really scared to have a very serious conversation with their sister about something, you know, emotionally fraught and they were anticipating uh, a conflict. Um, and then we talked about, you know, what, what's what's more tolerable to be incredibly uncomfortable for the 10 seconds it takes to dial the number and 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 um bring up the conversation or to sit on this feeling of dread for days and days wondering what um the conversation will, will be like um and they decided right. 
ultimately that the anticipation was worse than the action. And so they took the action. It was uncomfortable to talk to their sister, but they reached resolution much more quickly. Pulling the Band-Aid off. Absolutely. In other words. (laughs) You know, the the third thing I think about all the time is that, you know, I think about um, the human experience sort of in quadrants when it comes to um, the natural elements, Um, you know, earth, air, water, and fire. And I think of anxiety as very much air. You know, it's up in the head. It's a lot of thoughts. It's a lot of buzzing around. Um, And so when you are imbalanced by being too much in your air, oftentimes the other elements can help you um, reach more of a, you know, a homeostasis. And so especially earth and water, I think, can come to your aid. Earth is all about body. How do you get into your body, get into your breath, take a yoga class, go on a run, um, you know, let your body take care of you a bit. And water is our emotions. And oftentimes Mm. when there's a great deal of anxiety, I think it's because there's an unexpressed emotion. And I can't tell you in my life how often a good cry has actually taken care of a great (laughs) deal of anxiety. (laughs) I am all for the good cry. (laughs) Yeah, it's very healing. It really is. Is there anything else that you wanted to share? You know, I find myself these days reminding a lot of artists with whom I work um, that as terrible as everything is right now, they are often the most equipped to adapt and to um, flex themselves towards these these challenges. I mean, artists, mm-hmm. because of all the anxieties we've talked about, are, are wonderfully um, adaptable and they can make meaning out of so many different situations. And there is so much meaning to be made out of this moment right now. Indeed. Indeed. Awesome. Bobby, thank you so much for being here and for, for being brave and being nervous and doing it anyways. <laughs> thank you. I, I appreciate thank you for that. sharing that. <laughs> Putting yourself out there is never easy, no matter how long you live, I think. And that's, that's, that's a good thing to remember too, because we're all alike. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening and thanks to my guest, Bobby Steggert. For more information on some of the topics we discussed, head on over to our website, anxietyandtheartist.com. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and share. We'd also love it if you could leave us a rating and a comment in whatever podcast app you're listening to us on. Until next time, be healthy and stay creative. Anxiety and the Artist is produced by Grosta Productions and recorded at Homestead Studios. Music and engineering is by Bosco Chef. This podcast represents the opinions of Allison Chef and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.